Hello, fight fans. It is Thursday, January 25th, and this is the Fistianados podcast. I'm your host, Evan Murkowski, former HBO Sports marketing executive, and I am here to give you exactly that, the network executive's take on what is happening in the boxing world, both on your screen and behind the scenes. And given that this is episode one of the podcast, I will explain to you how this thing will work. We're going to go every other week for the show. I'm going to take you from the top and go through some numbers from what happened the previous week, take a look at what is really important to a network executive's point of view on this kind of thing. So a little review from what just happened. We'll do one deep dive per show where we take a a really exactly that, a deep dive into an issue relevant to the boxing world, and then preview some upcoming action, kind of give you some storylines, some marketing perspective, and probably just an overall network executive take on exactly what's happening out there. I'd love to give Dave Duenas, Steve Kim, and Gabriel Montoya a shout out. They've been very helpful, and I appreciate this platform very much. So that all being said, let's dive right into it. One of the first things I want to look at when I talk about the fights is the betting odds going into it. And this really isn't out of a particular interest in gambling. It's more a numerical scorecard for how the matchmaking is perceived from a pre-fight perspective. Errol Spence on Showtime's opening fight of the year. Errol Spence versus Lamont Peterson. Spence a minus 2,500 to minus 4,000 to one favorite, depending on where you went for the odds. Lamont Peterson plus 1,100 to plus 1,500. Really, we're in the 25 to one favorite range for Spence. Obviously, KO8, he reflected that uh, pretty well kind of a good back and forth action fight for parts of it but um, I shouldn't even call it back and forth just kind of a good action fight for parts of it quality television but a dominant win for Errol Spence there's no doubt about that the undercard Robert Easter versus Javier Fortuna the odds were anywhere around around minus 600 for Easter and the comeback being plus 450 for Fortuna that's basically 5 or 6 to 1 let's call it um you know, much closer fight than the odds indicated, but I don't really have too much to say about that. Not that particularly interesting of a fight, and I don't really care what happens with Robert Easter going forward. Hope he proves me wrong, but you know, he's got to he's got to have some better performances, quite frankly, for for any marketing person to take note. I would say, or really any programming person to take note. Um, the purses. Errol Spence got paid $1.2 million, Lamont Peterson $600,000, Robert Easter $310,000, Javier Fortuna $65,000. The attendance was $12,107 at Barclays Center, Brooklyn, New York. Unclear as to how many tickets were actually given away, but seemed like a pretty good crowd. And Errol Spence has gotten to the point where he is probably starting to draw a large crowd. Good for him. The television numbers. The Showtime broadcast averaged 637,000 viewers, peaking at 695,000 for the main event. 
Comps from the evening UFC prelims on Fox do 905,000, peaking at over a million, 1.048. Bellator was simulcast on Paramount Network and CMT, uh, which is, yes, weirdly, country music television. It averaged 770,000 on Paramount and 161,000 on CMT, but peaked at over a million on Paramount and 200K on CMT. For their main event of Chael Sonnen versus Quentin Rampage Jackson. Combined numbers of 1.2 million. Good number for them. And the UFC did pretty good numbers too, which I think actually makes the Showtime number pretty impressive. Normally, I would say 695,000 viewers. Okay, but not great for Showtime. When you factor in the television landscape, Showtime's in about 24 million homes throughout the United States. Uh, as opposed to the other, you know, Fox Sports 1 and Paramount, probably closer in that 100 to 120 million range for both. Um, maybe a little bit less for Fox, but the, the the television universe for there is just so much bigger. The fact that Showtime put up a comparable number and probably had viewers uh, who normally would have tuned in drawn away to the mixed martial arts, I think it's a good number for them. Um, Errol Spence starting to become a pretty big fighter for them. So here's my quick thoughts from the Showtime perspective. Good broadcast overall. Fine way to start the year. It's not great, though. Um, From a pure production standpoint, there's really nothing remarkably good or bad to comment on. Um, Competitive fight, like I said, but... um, Or, sorry, not a competitive fight. But there was some good action, like I said. It lacked drama... The one thing I really did appreciate is the broadcast team addressed some of the obvious issues that stem from the lack of activity from the PBC fighters. This will be a running theme that I'm going to come back to when we do the deeper dive. So, you know, take note of that. Overall, let's give it like a B. Um, I like seeing Errol Spence. I like seeing him in with a good fighter, but he dominated and you know, let's see what next for him. So let's do the deeper dive into Errol Spence's career. You know, like I said, he did what he was supposed to do. And my take with him is that, you know, really, if this is sort of the appetizer of a three fight year where he ends up taking on Keith Thurman, this is a good way to start. This is an A in terms of how you that or at least that year would be an A overall. Um, <clears throat> if this is the hardest fight of the year for him, then this is not a good, you know, this is a C. So I think, especially given what we now know about what his mandatory is going to be, it really depends on how this builds throughout the year for him and what his final fight of the year. So Lamont Peterson, just for context, was rated number six in Ring Magazine. He was number eight on ESPN's uh, welterweight rankings. The bigger conversation about this, that's fine for your first title defense. It's actually probably pretty good in the grand scheme of things. But Errol Spence, while he passes the eye test with dramatic flying colors, and really to the point where he's now viewed as a top pound-for-pound fighter by some, you got to remember with him, He's only making his first title defense. He did not win a title until last year when he beat Kell Brook over in England to win the title. And then he didn't fight for the whole rest of the year. 
So I'd say my critique of him is really like his title reign so far is one. His age, 28, that's just way too old for someone with his amount of talent. Something doesn't add up here. I would expect to see a lot more exposure, activity, and overall a much better way of marketing him and telling his story. You you would think at a place like Showtime they would have identified him as a talent worth promoting very early on and would have done a better job with it. And it's not really to call him out. I think this is actually more of a management issue. Since June of 2015, which is really when he started fighting guys with better records, higher level of opponents, here's his list of victories. Phil LaGreco, Chris Van Heerden, Alejandro Barrera, Chris Algieri, Leonard Bundu, and Kel Brook. And then Lamont Peterson, obviously, from, the, from this weekend. That is not a resume of a top pound-for-pound fighter, no matter what the eye test tells you. There's a lot of people who have gone through their careers. Lomachenko is a great example of someone who started much later and just have a much better resume. Um, Even Keith Thurman, who's like sort of the poster boy for inactivity, he won his first interim title belt in 2013. Granted, yes, that is an interim title belt. But he's only a year older than Errol Spence. So I think really what this is, this is a critique of the Al Heyman way of doing things. Um, Al is obviously most well-known for Floyd Mayweather, but Al sort of stewarded Floyd through some of the more money-making and high-end fights of his career, but he didn't really bring him to the dance. And here's really what I'm talking about with that. When Floyd was a top rank, he beat Gennaro Hernandez to win his first title two years after he turned pro. And more importantly than that, I think he fought 13 times, basically within five years of winning his first title. I think it was 16 times before he finally headlined a pay-per-view when he fought Arturo Gatti. And that's really, that's just an amazing amount of activity. Errol Spence is nowhere close to that. And he's really not on pace to do anything like that. So I think the activity is something. Um, you know, Showtime mentioned it, and uh, like I said earlier, I'm glad they addressed it. But I think the next big question is, how can Spence make that jump? Because the Al Heyman model of sort of fighting once, maybe twice a year, and doing it for only when you get the right money, that's not working on the way the Showtime model currently you know, is put forth by Steven Espinoza. And I actually think overall the Showtime model is great. Like right now they're in terms of giving a consumer bang for your buck on a monthly subscription, they're doing great things. They're giving you a great value. But what they haven't done is actually develop a pay-per-view fighter. So how does Spence do it? I don't really know. I mean, I think right now, again, there's something with his age that just doesn't quite add up. He should really be 24, 25 at this point in his career. But the silver lining is there are pathways moving forward. He could follow sort of the Triple G model. And I actually think Triple G is a great comp. A lot of people, this is not an original thought. A lot of people have mentioned this on social media or they've been talking about it after this last fight. You know, they're both offensive dynamos, they're both super athletic. Um, 
Triple G, it was even later in life. I think he was 30 when he won his first title. And it, it was really right around then when he started getting exposure on HBO. Um, he can follow that model of a lot of activity. You know, Triple G obviously was from Europe, so he went over and fought in Europe and it allowed him to take less money from HBO to fight more often. I think Spence, especially if you can draw 12000 in Brooklyn, I think there's other areas of the country where he can go and get a higher attendance. Dallas, which they're talking about for his next fight, that's a great area for him. He's basically a, a native of Dallas. And obviously the New York area is taken to him. I think there's other areas too, like maybe Washington, D.C., or certain areas where there's a huge fight fan base, but not a whole lot of fights regularly. He could go there and kind of do a tour and build up some fan base that way. Um, Here's sort of the, you know, you look at the welterweight division and you think how stacked it is, but here's sort of the problem moving forward. They announced Tuesday that he'd be fighting Carlos Ocampo as his IBF mandatory. And, you know, I looked at the ratings before the fight. The IBF's really doing him no favors. Right now, before they announced Ocampo, it was one and two were empty. Ocampo was three, and then it was Konstantin Ponomarev. Lamont Peterson was five. Bradley Skeet, Devin Alexander, Quadratio, Abdu Kwaksorov, Keith Kita Obara, and Rashidi Ellis. Pardon my pronunciation errors on all those. Rounded out the list of the top ten. They're really doing them no favors, and the IBF uh, will actually make you fight those mandatories. They won't. Uh, they won't do the funny monkey business with, that the other belts sometimes do. So you're going to end up him seeing like an April or May fight with Ocampo, probably in Dallas. It really puts a lot of pressure on the end of the year for Errol Spence. He has to get that Keith Thurman fight. And my take right now is don't hold your breath. Don't get too excited over it. I already talked about the sort of deficiencies in becoming a pay-per-view star from the Showtime perspective or the Showtime platform for Spence. He's also just, he's so many fights away from making that leap as, you know, just comparing the numbers for Floyd Mayweather that I did earlier. So how do you do it? So Thurman really has no incentive to take the fight unless Showtime basically puts it on CBS as their premier fall fight. Well, you know, in the college football world, you're basically waiting until December for that. And Thurman's going to demand a lot of money. Um, There's also other fights out there for Thurman. He's the WBC and WBA champ. Really what you need is Steven Espinosa to put his foot down. And I think if Steven Espinosa really does that and demands that Thurman and Spence fight, hats off to him. I think that's a great move. And, you know, I'd be really impressed with that, but I'm I'm not holding my breath for it. I think you might end up seeing sort of the Danny Garcia, Sean Porter, Jesse Vargas type world as his next opponent. Um, you know, the home run is obviously if you look at the rest of the welterweight division where the paydays lie. And I think really the end game for Errol Spence has got to be fighting Terrence Crawford on pay-per-view. And... Here's why we're a while away from seeing that. I think ESPN can sort of play around with this Pacquiao-Horn 
Crawford trio that they have at welterweight. And that's a pretty good, you can set up a couple good matches with that. I think they might even be able to poach some more options with, with that belt and with those three guys. But the, <coughs> the bigger play for ESPN is really, can they get their pay-per-view unit started? Coming from the pay-per-view selling world at HBO, it really makes a difference when ESPN promotes a fight. If SportsCenter and you know the first take type shows are all over uh, these kind of fights, you really see pay-per-view numbers dramatically go up uh, in terms of what the predictions are for them. And I think ESPN is the perfect platform to do it. So if they can update the pay-per-view model, which I will talk about in the future, I think they're a strong candidate to do that. They also have the only established pay-per-view star in Manny Pacquiao. Now, he's not really any more, at least as an A-side on his own, but as a B-side, I think he can do it. And I think just having the backing of him in terms of what that means in a, in a previously established pay-per-view star, I think that's pretty big. So the end game is if Terrence Crawford can sort of take the shine that Manny Pacquiao once had, or even whatever he has left, and start to really get promoted by SportsCenter, become a pay-per-view star. And I think there's a strong potential for that in the next 18 to 24 months. That can actually set up a big fight for Errol Spence. A big pay-per-view fight, probably using ESPN's platform. And if he can do that, especially even if he misses out on the Thurman fight this year, that can set up a really big year for him next year. And like I said, remember, he has only made his first title defense. So here's what I'd say to everybody. I'm excited about Errol Spence too. He really passes the eye test. The fact that he's this age, it's not borderline criminal. It's just a weakness in the Al Heyman management style. Um, I wish... I wish this should really be happening two years ago. If this was happening two years ago or if Errol Spence was 26 right now, totally different ballgame. And we'd just be really excited with a lot less pressure on making some of these big fights. But really, you know, that's, that's where it is. Um, he's lacking a little bit, I, I, at least in that career pedigree. I hope for him he takes that Triple G model and he moves forward, and he builds fan bases all over the place. But, you know, it goes back to what I said. If Steven Espinoza decides to make it a priority and hats off to him, then Errol Spence is going to have the best year of his career. He really is. So that all being said, let's move on and talk about the upcoming action on HBO and ESPN. Um, Lucas Matisse versus Terry Karam. Jorge Linares versus Mercedo Gesta on HBO. Um, I love my former colleagues over there, but, you know, I got to call it like I see it here. Matisse right now is a minus 1,100 to minus 1,200 betting favorite. Linares is minus 4,500, minus 5,000 to 1. So basically 50 to 1 for Linares. About 10 to 1, let's call it, for Matisse. Um... This is not a great first offering from HBO. Pretty poor card. Like I said, I got to call it like I see it. And But here, here's what I'll give. So in terms of head of HBO Sports, Peter Nelson, I actually give him a pretty good mark for this card. So 
in Golden Boy's darkest hour, Lucas Matisse was really the the first major fighter besides Canelo Alvarez to stand with Oscar when the company was splitting up. Um, and for that, Peter's doing Golden Boy a favor. And Golden Boy owes Lucas Matisse big time for that. He kind of was the glue that kept a lot of the secondary and tertiary fighters together at Golden Boy. And hats off to him. That's a really honorable thing to do. So in that respect, I'm glad Peter is doing Golden Boy a favor. That's the kind of thing when you're partners with a company sort of from a long-term perspective like HBO is with Golden Boy, it's a solid thing to do. But matchmaker Peter Nelson, the VP or director of programming, whatever you want to call it, this is like a C minus D plus. It's not really a great card. And it's not just because the fights aren't super competitive, because who knows, Matisse versus Kira might end up being competitive. I don't think anybody here really knows much about the Thai fighter. He's undefeated, seems to have a pretty good jab. That's what people are saying. Who knows? Um, Matisse could blow him out. He could also give Matisse a fight, but there's really two reasons that I, I dock it. So number one... HBO's not invested in the welterweight division at all. We just went through all the other fighters. They're basically all in the Showtime and ESPN world. There's nothing on the HBO side. So this fight really leads to nothing. Even in Lucas Matisse's career, he's at an advanced age. And if he wins this fight, you got to think Golden Boy is going to be pitching him to take on the likes of maybe even an Errol Spence later in the year if he, if he doesn't get the Thurman fight. Um, or certainly some of the other, you know, the Danny Garcias, the Sean Porters, the, you know, those fighters of the world. Maybe I mean, ESPN also has a relationship with Golden Boy, so maybe he can even fight one of the top-ranked fighters uh, on ESPN. But all his big fights are not at HBO. So I don't quite understand it from that point of view. And then Linares, I mean, not only is this not a competitive fight, but even his big fights probably aren't going to happen on HBO. Um, Mikey Garcia's out the forum. Maybe that happens on HBO, but probably not. And, you know, the Lomachenko fight is out there for him. In terms of big name people who you can probably get him to fight for that title at 135. So, I, you know, I do think Linares will continue to fight on HBO, but just the big fights aren't out there for him, and this really isn't a competitive one. Um... You know, so that's really why I dock HBO. I guess the other reason is at this point in Matisse's career, if he loses, it really says a lot more about him than it does about the Thai fighter, Karam. You know, unlike Soaring Vasai with Chocolatito, Chocolatito is number one pound for pound. If, if he loses, whoever beat him becomes a star and really gets an opportunity. I'm just not sure that's the case here for for Kiram. Um, so, you know, HBO, not a great way to start the year. And the sort of the really sad thing is they have a much better card than ESPN. Um, it, top rank, Zerto Ramirez fighting Habib Ahmed. And then Jerwin Ancajas fighting Israel Gonzalez. Look, there wasn't even betting odds available for this, which speaks a lot to the perceived public interest in the fight. Um, 
I think Zerto has a fan base. He's really been sort of one of those pay-per-view fighters that Top Rank has promoted. He had a good win versus Jesse Hart on ESPN, and if this fight can draw a decent rating, good for him. I hope he builds a fan base. They get a little bit more of a pass on this than HBO simply because Ramirez is still in the prospect phase of his career, and their undercard probably is going to be fairly competitive as opposed to HBO. Doesn't lead to much, though. Really, none of these fights lead to much. Ramirez, even if he wins, it's probably going to be I'm guessing, based on reputation, a ho-hum win where he wins a lot of rounds but doesn't get the guy out. That's usually how I think uh, Ahmed is from Ghana. They're usually really tough guys, maybe not quite as skilled. Ramirez will probably beat him purely on skill. This is all by reputation. I haven't seen the guy fight, but when you combine that with not notable fighters, it's really just not a great card so far. I can say that, and maybe these do turn out to be good fights. Hopefully... You know, these guys proved me wrong. The harder thing for that one is the missed opportunity. That's the Gassiev versus Dortikos fight in the World Boxing Super Series. I really got to harp on this one because I actually think this is the best fight of 2018 so far. And it's not going to be televised on a major U.S. TV outlet. I don't know whether it's just people having a problem with Richard Schaefer I don't know whether it's the fact that it's European-based for the most part. I don't know if it's the fact that it's sort of a Champions League knockout format, tournament style, why it's hard to buy into. But all the fights that are left in this World Boxing Super Series, they're really good fights, and it's a huge missed opportunity for a TV network that they're not televising them. It just is. I don't really know what else to say. This is probably going to be a great television fight yes it'd be on earlier in the day yes Richard Schaefer can be hard to deal with but that should not be a reason not to televise the fight it's just a huge missed opportunity I wish it was on HBO it's funny to me that HBO and ESPN are televising stuff that's really not nearly as good as it I'm going to leave it at that though um So there will be a Twitter feed coming up for this podcast. I would love to hear questions, comments, concerns. Um, Thanks again, you guys. This has been great. It is the Fistinatos Podcast. I'll talk to you guys in two weeks. Bye.